This podcast is sponsored by our partner, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine in clinical practice. Check out READ for easy access to research personalized for you. And CALCULATE for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. Try them today at qxmd.com slash apps. Again, that is qxmd.com slash apps. Welcome to the Critical Care Obstetrics podcast series on cardiac disease in pregnancy. My name is Suzanne McMurtry-Baird, and I'm here with my partners, Stephanie Martin and Julie Arafay. The topic for discussion today is the role of simulation in the care of a pregnant woman with complex cardiac disease. Cardiac disease encompasses a huge spectrum. So today we will be focusing on preparing to take care of those patients who are at higher risk for complications during labor and birth. Every L&D unit needs to have a defined scope of care. So we have spoken about scope of service and scope of care, same thing, in previous podcasts. But this scope of service needs to clearly delineate what level of patients that you will be caring for in your service line. Levels of care do not define specific diagnoses that can be cared for in each unit. So each unit needs to define this based upon their unique resources. And when I say resources, not just physical resources or environment of care, but what I want to stress is also that encompasses training based upon that scope of service. So once that scope of service is delineated, uh, and for cardiac patients, that may be utilizing the WHO as a risk guide uh, to determine that scope of service, then the hospital can begin to plan for how to take care of those women who fit within that scope. Also, once you have your scope of service, you can prepare not just how to take care of those that you're going to keep, but those patients that may come in that are outside of your scope of service. All of this requires education, the equipment, and simulation. And I will then point you back to two other podcasts that we're going to do on that subject uh, on preparing for those patients. Yeah. So that scope of service document is really, really crucial. And Suzanne, you mentioned the WHO, that the World Health Organization has a, you know, a classification system that tells you how high risk a patient is for decompensation or complications during their pregnancy and around the time of birth. And once you've decided, okay, we're going to take care of level one, two, or three patients, and maybe we're going to be transporting out patients who are of the the highest risk, the uh, class four patients, now you can start planning on how to take care of them. And one of the key things that you have to figure out right off the bat is where they're going to deliver in your institution. So let's say you've got a patient with aortic stenosis or mitral stenosis, Do you have the ability in your institution to safely take care of this patient on labor and delivery, or do they need to be in a cardiac unit or in an intensive care unit setting? That's going to differ from uh, institution to institution, depending on what your own internal resources are. 
But if you do decide that they have to deliver off L&D, which is not unusual for some of these highest risk patients, you don't have to get overwhelmed. It can be very overwhelming thinking, where do I start? What happens next? I mean, so many things can go wrong and everybody's worried about everything. You don't have to simulate every single thing. Start with the two most common complications that can happen. And everybody will recognize that that's hemorrhage. I mean, you may, we get focused on the heart because they have a cardiac condition, but hemorrhage is still one of the most common complications of pregnancy. And you need to be sure you can deal with that off unit. And how are you going to handle an emergency cesarean? So these patients are at higher risk for having decompensation during labor, and that could lead to higher rates of cesarean section. So for every patient that delivers off of labor and delivery, you have to be prepared for that. And that's where simulation comes in. Now, once you have a specific patient that you know is going to be getting admitted, so you've already got your baseline plans that your institution should be preparing for how do we deal with patients that are delivering off unit. But now let's say we've got a patient with aortic stenosis who's getting admitted uh, specifically to deliver. Now you can add in simulation for whatever those most likely cardiac events are to occur with that patient, whether it's pulmonary edema or arrhythmias or even cardiac arrest. So Julie, this is where I want to hear your expertise and your experience on how would you use simulation in that context? Like what, what do you, what do you think? Well, I think the two main goals of simulation after you have a specific plan of care or after you've decided that you know these women will not be giving birth on the labor and delivery unit is to first goal of simulation is to uh, familiarize the staff with the protocol or that plan of care that's been determined. The second main goal is to uncover whatever systems issues or unit issues may prevent or deter the staff from following the plan. So the types of simulation that are the most helpful are interprofessional simulation, which we've talked about. Um, hopefully that can be in situ on the unit where the patient is actually gonna give birth, but it may have to occur remote from that location, and we'll talk about that too. There's another type of simulation called just-in-time simulation and tabletop simulation. Now, I've heard about tabletop simulations, but um, and I've you know participated in some th with you, but for those who have never heard of them or had an opportunity to participate in a tabletop sim, what is it? And, and when would you ideally use a tabletop sim to prepare for these kind of patients? Well, a tabletop simulation is a lot like a discussion, but it's it's a very specific discussion. As as we know, if you've got a woman with complex cardiac disease, you're going to have interprofessional care discussions about this patient, hopefully, before or as she's going through her pregnancy. So things that may have been already decided are where is she going to be admitted if she has to be admitted to the hospital before she goes into labor or before she is being admitted for birth, what type of birth is anticipated and where is that going to be located? So when you think about a tabletop simulation, a tabletop simulation goes into even more detail. Who are the exact people who need to be present? 
how many people are there. So when I'm conducting or, or guiding people through a tabletop simulation, I like to have a whiteboard or a chalkboard, and I like to have post-it notes. So I will draw a picture of a room, a square, I'll put the patient's bed in there and whatever pieces of equipment. And then as we add people and as we add equipment, I add post-it notes into that square. So the so if you're participating in that tabletop simulation, you get a sense of how many people are coming in and how much equipment you need to have. That can be the first um, kind of way that you begin to determine, okay, this room isn't going to work. It needs to be this room because we have more room in this particular room in the intensive care unit or in the labor and delivery unit. So you want to get very specific. You want to figure out who needs to be there. What skill set do you need? What equipment do you need? And afterwards, where is recovery going to take place? How long do you think the patient is going to have to stay in this particular room or do they need to go to a different area the real beauty i think of tabletop simulation is it can define and refine the plan so that when you go onto the unit you have a very clear idea of what you need to simulate and the reason this is important is because time on the unit is very expensive currency you want to simulate on the unit as efficiently, as effectively, and as quickly and as completely as possible. So that when you are going onto the unit to schedule time or to pull people together to run this simulation, you do it as quickly as possible. You get the most amount of information. You know what information you need and you have a way to um, capture what systems issues you have uncovered. So, Julie, I've got a question. question. Um, I'm most familiar with uh, interprofessional simulations, and I think I could probably speak from our audience, too. So when we do those interprofessional simulations, we usually do it to train staff or to train a team. So how are these interprofessional simulations different from that? That is a great question because um, I think most people have this idea about simulation as a one method type of exercise, either that or they have this idea that when you're talking about in situ or on the unit simulation, this means that someone who's working is pulled away from their patient, thrown into a situation that they're not prepared for, and then they're evaluated. So an interprofessional simulation you're doing in this circumstance is mostly evaluatory as far as the system. So you're not so much training people as you are really looking for gaps. And we know that simulation is designed to identify or uncover gaps. And that's really how you're using this. You want to go onto that unit with the people who are going to be caring for the patient, or at least the disciplines who are going to be caring for the patient, and you want to uncover what is what goes smoothly so that you can make sure that that happens every single time, or what were the problems? What, what, uh, what didn't allow the team to take the best care of the patient? 
Was it an equipment issue? Was it a medication issue? Was it that you didn't have the right skill set in the room? Are there too many people in the room? Do you need a bigger room? So those are the types of exploratory questions that you want to answer with an NC2 simulation. So another question, um, that's such great information, and I love how you delineated that type of training versus just, you know, for um, training a team or individual for a specific, um, this now, now you're talking about a specific type of patient. So another thing that you talked about earlier, another type of simulation was just-in-time simulation. So how is that different from the simulations that you just talked about? Well, just-in-time simulation typically occurs right as the patient is in the unit. So this patient is admitted. She may be in labor. Um, she may be, let's say, in the active phase of labor. And now the birth is going to occur fairly soon. So a just-in-time simulation would be one that is conducted by the team who are actually going to be going in there and taking care of the patient. This is a great time to assign roles. This person is going to be doing this. This nurse is going to be in charge of this. It's also a great time in a patient like this that's very complicated to assign who is going to be the leader. There may be three or four physicians in the room. And it's going to be very important to determine who is going to be the main person in charge of the patient. Will that leadership change? And if it does change, how will it change? And how will these physicians all collaborate together so that the best plan of care or the best management of the patient occurs? So talking through this and thinking thinking it through, reviewing things with uh, the staff who are going to be in the room is a just-in-time simulation. Julie, let's, ta let's take these different kinds of simulations and put them in the context of a patient. So let's say we know that we have a patient with aortic stenosis who's going to be coming in to labor. And uh, maybe this is a good time for me to add, you know, a lot of assumptions are made that these plans are being done and, uh, you know, that we have a patient with an aortic stenosis who's in the outpatient setting and she may be seeing all these independent specialists that, you know, may or may not ever come together to talk about the patient. And then what about the patient in the hospital? So, you know, this is, I think there's a role for simulation to like bring the care together from outpatient to inpatient instead of, oh my gosh, we've got an induction on Monday. She's got aortic stenosis and no one knew anything about the patient. I mean, wh what's the opportunity for simulation there? Well, that's a great question. And the timing of this and how, uh, how the how the timing occurs in relationship to the gestation of the patient is going to differ i'm sure depend on depending on the place where she receives her care the the hospital or the unit but if you think about the importance of an interprofessional team planning care if that interprofessional team can come together and discuss the main aspects of care then go on to the unit and simulate that, those main aspects of care, that these simulations are very different than the ones we use for training. Number one, they can be extremely short and extremely to the point. 
one thing you want to do is you want to make sure that if an IV needs to be started or a med needs to be drawn up, that it's done as faithfully as possible so that the, the people in the simulation get the sense of how long is this going to take and how easy is it to accomplish this task. But the simulation itself, let's say it's the birth, can stop immediately after the birth and the team can discuss what part of this was easy, what obstacles did we face, and if we faced obstacles, how can we get around that? You may have the next short little interprofessional simulation being, how are we going to manage hemorrhage in this patient? Where does this patient go for a cesarean birth? It may be that the complex um, situation, cardiac situation that the patient has is attached to a very common complication. So reviewing that complication can be helpful. So the tabletop sim can precede the interprofessional sim so that it's as efficient as possible. And then that plan of care that has been determined and all those lessons learned should be accessible to the team that are actually caring for the patient. And that's when the just-in-time simulation occurs. I think that's really crucial. And, you know, we've talked about the three of us have talked about this extensively, you know, with maternal levels of care and how, you know, excited we are to see them being introduced and adopted. But, you know, as Suzanne said earlier, it doesn't define the diagnoses that are cared for. And that is, it's still so important that facilities, you know, with or without the designation decide who they're going to care for and for these patients, most of these patients that we're talking about, the complex ones are going to be cared for at a level three or four facility. And it's not enough just to have the designation. You really need to have a plan to combine outpatient and inpatient and make sure that once that patient is in the hospital, that there are processes in place to be sure we've anticipated what can happen and that we're the best prepared that we can be to try and minimize those complications or deal with them when they happen. I think one of the most interesting things that I have seen come out of these interprofessional sims for very specific patients are the recognition of what each individual skill set brings to that patient's care. And what I mean by that is the anesthesiologist who's familiar with cardiac disease and pregnancy has a very specific uh, knowledge set that is important. The cardiologist um, who's familiar with women with cardiac disease, has a very important piece of information, as does the obstetrician or maternal fetal medicine physician. So allowing the teams to understand what the strengths are of each of their members, I think encourages collaboration and discussion. If a, something occurs where the there's a, a complication and the, this team now has to congeal and work together to figure out what's going on. It's also extremely important for the nurses because what I've seen is the nurses can get somewhat territorial. And when the different discipline of, disciplines of nursing understand what everyone brings to the table, those tasks can be looked at, can be thought about, and can be apportioned in a way that doesn't over overwhelm any one person, but really draws on the strength that that skill set or that person with that skill set brings to the team. 
Yeah, I think it also adds to the mutual respect between teams as well, um, that we all recognize that we bring something different or a different skill set or a different um, bank of knowledge to that care of that patient at the time. So I think that it really helps to, as you said, gel the team um, and know, and again, obviously planning for this ahead of time is the ideal and, and that's what we want to encourage. But I also want to make sure that we point out that even level one or level two hospitals need to have a plan in, 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 pl- in case you have a patient that shows up outside of your scope of practice. And we've stated that in other podcasts, but I just want to make sure that nurses and physicians out there are comfortable in caring for those patients because once again, you know when they'll come in. It'll be at on the night shift, on the weekend, when we have less resources and personnel available. Yeah, it's, you know, that's a really good closing point there, Suzanne, that even though we're focusing here on complex cardiac disease, these patients can show up at any facility, whether they're within your scope of service or not. So knowing what you take care of and what you do not enables you to prepare using simulation for how you're going to move these patients to the appropriate level of care because it's very clear who you're keeping and who you're not. You know, I talk about our neonatal ICUs, um, which we are, you know, in our field are so accustomed to dealing with. We know exactly which babies are staying and which babies have to be transferred out. It's very clear. Their scope of service is well-defined. In obstetrics, we're trying to get there, but it's not. But you don't have to have your level of care to define your scope of service and determine what patients you can take care of and what you can't. And when you know that, then you can start preparing for They're outside our scope of service. We need to transfer her, use simulation to figure out how to do that. They're in our scope of service. We need to care for her, use simulation to figure out how to do that. Julie, thank you so much for your expertise and your comments. I mean, it's, I learn something every time we talk about simulation. I hope that everyone listening has enjoyed the podcast and you're all starting to think of ways you can use simulation in your own units to improve care, not just of cardiac patients, but really of all your patients. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can learn more about our company at www.clinicalconceptsnob.com. And for a list of today's references, go to the read app at qxmd.com slash apps. This podcast and music was produced by Austin Baird. Are you looking to create a podcast? Please reach out to NashvillePodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is NashvillePodcast at gmail.com.